All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Newport Church. It's great to have you with us today. Uh, if you're here for the first time, I want to give a special welcome to you. I remember coming to church for the first time when I was 19 years old, and I just thought everybody was judging me, particularly based on how I was dressed or how I looked. And so I just want you to know that it doesn't matter how you look or what you're wearing. As long as you're not decked out in Packers gear, nobody's going to judge you in this church, okay? <laughs> I'm kidding. People in Wisconsin need Jesus as well, but... Uh, but you are, no matter which of our campuses you're at today, or if you're watching this message online, you are surrounded by some of the most accepting people on the planet, and we're grateful that you're with us today. Hey, last weekend, I gave three pieces of evidence that pointed to the existence of God. And I challenged some of you to say, you know what, this isn't a blind faith. This isn't fairy tale or tooth fairy kinds of things. This is a faith that's based on the evidence. And I said, you know, for some of us, we may believe that God exists in our mind, but you need to transfer that belief eight inches down to your heart so that you can know Jesus Christ and you can have the peace and assurance that comes with eternal life. And wanted to let you know that 208 adults last weekend put their faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. Isn't that incredible? I was up here last weekend and I said there were 734 kids and adults that put their faith in Christ on Easter. Last weekend, 208 adults. That's almost 1,000 in two weeks. Now, just to put that in perspective for you, the average church in America averages about one person coming to faith in Christ every year. And we've just seen 1,000 almost in the last two weeks alone. It's incredible what God is doing in this place. And I truly attribute it to many of you who love this church and you love your neighbor and your friend and your coworker enough to invite them and invest in their life a little bit. So, so proud of those 208 of you that put your faith in Christ last weekend. This weekend, we're continuing in our series called I Believe in God, But, because according to the most recent Gallup polls, 90% of Americans believe that God exists. But for some of them, there's a but. There's a question or an objection that they keep getting hung up on. Today's message is for everybody, believer or non-believer, no matter who you are or where you've been in life, I'll bet you've at least thought this before. Today's message is, I believe in God, but I just want to have fun. Ever heard that before? I was talking to a friend in high school, and he just came right out and said it. He said, you know, I'll get serious about my faith after college. When I get married and have kids and, quote, settle down a little bit, you know, then I'll start going to church on a regular basis and get serious about my faith. But until then, I just want to have fun. Now, most of us don't come right out and say it that directly, but we might think it. It's because a lot of people have this perception of God that he's all about rules and laws. Maybe you've thought of God that way, that he's just a lot about rules and laws, and some of those laws, you might think, are kind of outdated. We have a lot of outdated laws that are still on the books in the United States. I actually did a Google search this week and looked for some of the most humorous ones. Keep in mind, these are actual laws that still exist in our country. In Rhode Island, any marriage where either party is an idiot is null and void. And that's the actual word that it uses in the law. So in Rhode Island, you just have to go to the judge and go, he's an idiot, right? And they're like, wow, you were never married in the first place. It's null and void. Some of you wives are looking at your husbands right now going, you're lucky we don't live in Rhode Island, buddy. 
In Kansas, if two trains meet on the same track, neither can proceed until the other one has passed. <laughs> I can't go until you go. I can't go until you. You know there's some farmers in Kansas who are like, honey, come out here. Them two trains is just a set in there. There is a lawmaker in Kansas who is lucky he doesn't live in Rhode Island. In Alabama, it's against the law to wear a fake mustache in church that causes laughter. Now, you can have a real mustache that causes people to laugh. You can wear a fake one that's more serious and somber in tone. But don't wear a fake one that would cause laughter in church, or else you might go to jail in Alabama. In Alaska... It's illegal to wake up a sleeping bear for a photo op. I feel like that's a good law. I feel like that's still relevant today. In New York, it's illegal for citizens to greet one another by putting their thumb to their nose and wiggling their fingers. Now, I dare you the next time you go to New York, let's just find out if the law enforcement really understands the laws of their state. You got to walk by a police officer and be like, stop, like that. And we'll just see what, what happens to you. Here's the final one. In Oklahoma, it's illegal to have a sleeping donkey in your bathtub after 7 p.m. <laughs> Prior to 7, you're fine. Let him sleep, right? Needs a little extra sleep. But you better set your alarm for 7 p.m. and wake that donkey up and get him out of the bathroom if you live in the state of Oklahoma. Now, we look at those laws today and we laugh because we realize how outdated they are. I mean, apparently at one point they applied. I don't know how it ever became a law in Oklahoma. You can't have a sleeping donkey in your bathtub. But apparently at some point applied. But today we realize, you know what, that's, that's no longer relevant or applicable to us. As I mentioned, that's how some people see God's laws. Outdated. No longer relevant or applicable, that they're just there to kind of spoil our fun and restrict our pleasure. Let's be honest, that's how some people think. Or you'll hear people and they'll say, you know, I know the Bible has some things to say about pursuing sexual purity and all that, but you know, that's the Bible. And we're way more progressive today. I mean, as, as far as I see it, as long as you're not hurting another person, you ought to be able to sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want. And any law that says otherwise is as outdated to them as a law about a donkey sleeping in the bathtub. I will admit to you that this was my view when I was in high school. I didn't grow up going to church. I wasn't a follower of Christ. And I remember talking to this guy one time, and he goes, you know, I used to drink. I used to party. I used to sleep around. But now I'm a Christian. I don't do those things anymore. And I remember thinking, whoa, where do you sign me up? I mean, that just sounded so, woo, you know? And that was kind of my perception of Christianity. Ridiculous rules that would be more fun to break than they would be to follow. And I don't think I'm alone in this because when I became a follower of Christ and I told people that I was going to reserve sex, sex for my future wife, I had people looking at me like I had three heads. I mean, I remember people, are you, doing, are you serious about that? And then they was always followed with, well, you know, good for you, but I could never do that. Several years ago, I was reading a book called You Lost Me, and the authors had researched why some young people were walking away from the church. 
And at one point in the book, they said, you know, one of the reasons that young people are walking away from the church these days is because they view the Bible's teachings on sex to be repressive. It was actually the word that they used, repressive. And I wrote in the margin of the book, of course they do. There's 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds whose hormones are raging and who happen to live in one of the most sexually driven cultures in human history. I can't say I'm super surprised that they're not thrilled about a Bible verse from a couple thousand years ago telling them it would be better for them to wait. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you say, you know what, I believe in God, but I just want to have fun. I mean, I'm in high school, I'm in college, and you're only in college once, and I don't want to miss out on the college experience. I mean, I want to just party. By the way, isn't that word party kind of a funny one? I mean, when did hooking up and getting drunk become the definition of a party? I'll hear people sometimes say, oh, dude, I just, I just love to party. And I always want to poke at them a little bit, and I want to just say, like, oh, do you like to eat cake and ice cream and blow on little noisemakers? Ooh, is that what you mean you like to do? Oh, no, that's not it, right? And when, when did the definition of that word change? But maybe that's you. Maybe you say, you know what, I, I believe in God, I really do, but honestly, I just want to party. Others of us would say, you know, I'm in a different situation. As you mature and grow into an adulthood, hooking up and partying and those things no longer hold the allure that they once did for most of us. But that doesn't mean you want to stop having fun. In fact, in my own life, I find three temptations that are rather odd, but it's control, comfort, and quiet. I want to be in control of my schedule and circumstances. I want comfort. I want to just sit on the beach eat Waffle House every day and never step on the treadmill. And I just want quiet, four kids running around. I just want to be in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. But I talk to other adults and they say, you know what, my definition of pleasure for me is, is kind of indulgences. You know, they'll say it's food and drink and travel and season tickets. It's experiences. I'll talk to others and they'll say, you know, for me, it's success. It's making money, it's my business, it's a kind of a form of fun. For others, it's their kids and their kids' achievements in school or sports. Usually the six-word phrase that we use to describe this is, if I could just have that. What is that for you? That when you look at your life right now, where do you go, you know, if I could just have that, then I'd be happy. That looks fun, that looks pleasurable, that's what I want what is that for you? Now, the tricky part of this is that oftentimes our various that's are not sinful or illegal in themselves. In other words, I never talk to people who say, you know, if I could just rob that bank, I think I'd be happy. It's not so much it's sinful or illegal. And there's nothing sinful about having a condo on the beach, being successful in business, or having kids who do well in school or sports. There's nothing sinful or illegal about any of those. But the danger comes when we start to love them more than we should. And that brings us to the verse from the Bible that I want to teach through today. It's from a letter in the New Testament called 1 John. And before I read this, I want you to know that John wrote letters to these churches in the area, and he loved these people. I mean, his motivation was, I want the very best for your life. Listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 2. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, I want you to think about this with me for just a moment, because if your parents are alive, your parents are in the world. 
And if you're married, your spouse is in the world. And if you have kids, your kids are in the world. And your friends are in the world. Does it, so does he mean that we shouldn't love them? Or what about when you go on a vacation? And you're sitting out on the beach and you turn to your friend and you go, oh, I love this. Do you have to be worried that God's up in heaven going to go and just like zap you in that moment? Did you have to feel really guilty because you're loving your vacation? I don't think that's what John means because look at what he says in the very next verse. He says, for all that is in the world, the desire for physical pleasure. Now this word desire is an interesting one because it doesn't just mean, oh, I want physical pleasure. Most of us would say, well, I, I would like physical pleasure. Another translation translates this word as lust. In other words, it's an inordinate desire for physical pleasure. It's a desire that's out of control. He said the desire for physical pleasure, the desire for everything we see, which is possessions. I see that. I want that. I want to have that. And the pride of life are not from the Father, but are from the world. I call this the three Ps. Pleasure possessions, and the pride of life. Isn't it interesting that John, writing 2,000 years ago, was able to pinpoint exactly what our culture today will define as fun? Because our culture today says, you know, if, if you can have physical pleasure, party, hook up, you can feel a certain way in your body, and then you can have possessions, and you can have a bigger house and a bigger car and nicer things, and you can have the pride of life. I mean, you can have other people noticing you and admiring you and, and you're very successful in their eyes. Well, then that's fun. Here's what I want to argue today. I want to argue to you that a relationship with God is fun. And I don't even know if you've ever thought of it that way before, but that obeying God will actually bring the greatest amount of pleasure to your life. I want to argue that godly pleasures are more pleasurable than worldly pleasures, and I want to say to those of you who go, you know, I believe in God, but I just want to have fun. That you have bought into a worldly definition of fun that is warped, not fun, and can be destructive to your life. Because you can have pleasure, possessions, and pride of life, everything that this world has to offer, and you can still go to bed dissatisfied and empty. And some of you know exactly what that is like. The first reason for that is because worldly pleasures are deceptive. Nobody ever talks about the consequences of sin. People just go, oh, let's go out and party. They never say, let's go out and drink too much, and then we can puke over the toilet. And then we can wake up in the middle of the night, and we can't sleep because we're sweating so much. And our body's just trying to sweat out those toxins. And then you're going to get up in the morning and you're going to have a headache and you're going to feel nauseous and lethargic. You're probably going to waste the whole next day. They just say, let's party. Everybody always just says, you know, let's just find someone. Let's go hook up tonight. They never say, you know, let's go meet someone, hook up, and then in the middle of the night you can quietly slip out of bed, get dressed, and walk out the door and go, I don't even really know if I know who that person is. They never tell you about the shame that you might feel in that moment. They never tell you about the separation from God that you might feel in that moment. They never tell you about those images and how they become hardwired into your brain so that next time you want to go into a serious, committed relationship, you have to deal with those. It's just, let's hook up. 
Look what the Bible says about a man named Moses. It says he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, some pastors will tell you that sin is not fun. I am not one of those. Sin is fun. That's why people do it. Even something as silly as gossip kind of feels fun. I mean, I don't know why, but you just kind of feel, this is kind of fun to talk about this person that way. But notice the adjective that gets attached to sinful pleasures. He says, it's fleeting. I was trying to think of an analogy to kind of illustrate this for you, and for some reason, I thought of White Castle hamburgers. Now, this is going to gross some of you out, but I like White Castle hamburgers. I think they're pleasurable to eat. These are known as sliders because they slide down real easy. And so I find pleasure in eating a White Castle hamburger, but it is a fleeting pleasure. Because two hours later, 20 minutes later, two minutes later, I'm going, oh, why did I eat White Castle? I don't feel good about that anymore. Sin is a White Castle hamburger. <laughs> it slides down real easy at first. And you go, oh, this is so enjoyable. This is so pleasurable. But then two minutes later, 20 minutes later, two days later, two years later, you're going, oh, wh why did I do that? I don't feel good about that anymore. Which is why the question you need to ask yourself is this. Is this momentary pleasure going to outweigh the future pain? And it never does. One author calls this playing the movie forward. How is this going to end? Yeah, it might be fun to be dating that person right now. It's, it feels good to be with another person and they're extroverted and outgoing and people like them. But is that the person you want to be emotionally attached to later? And yeah, it's, it's fun for you to look at those images online. I mean, you feel a physical pleasure in your body. But do you want those images in the memory bank of your mind as you move into a marriage one day? I mean, it might feel good now, but is it going to feel good later? Now, I need to qualify this and say that God is not against pleasure. Some people think that thou shall not smile or have a good time is a Bible verse. That's not who God is. And I can prove this to you. Why do you have taste buds? Well, because God gave them to you. Are they necessary for you to be nourished and sustained by food? No. Do you need them in order to stay alive? No. God gave them to you because he wants you to enjoy and taste the pleasure of good food. Why does sexual intercourse feel good? Is it necessary to procreate and to populate the earth? No. It's because God wants you to feel the pleasure of a union with your spouse. So God is not against pleasure. God created pleasure. But here's the truth. Pleasure isn't God's purpose. Because if it was, Jesus would never have gone to the cross. He would have flown to Fiji. He would have said, you know, don't put those nails in my wrists and string me up on a cross. I'm out of here. I'm going to Fiji. Look, it's Jesus laying on the beach in Fiji. And we would have had these necklaces of Jesus laying back on a lawn chair with sunglasses on. I mean, it would have changed everything. 
In fact, at one point, Jesus is being followed by an adoring crowd. You just think about how good that would feel to have a group of people just following you around and adoring you. He leaves the adoring crowd. He takes a boat across the Sea of Galilee during a storm in the middle of the night so that he can get to the other side of the lake to a demon-possessed man. Who does that? Who leaves an adoring crowd to fight through a storm over a sea in the middle of the night to get to a demon-possessed man? Jesus does that, and here's why. Jesus didn't go looking for his own pleasures. He went looking for other people's pain. That is a powerful statement for your own life. What about you? Have you gotten caught up lately in, you know, it's about my physical pleasure and how I'm feeling Or are you the kind of person who says, God, I have a purpose for my life. And it's to help other people who are in pain. Here's the secret for you. If you pursue purpose, you will have pleasure thrown in. If you pursue pleasure, you will have very little purpose in your life. It's a secret that the world never tells you. It's because worldly pleasures are deceptive. Here's the second reason that you can have pleasure and possessions and pride of life and still feel empty. It's because worldly possessions don't last. So John says, do not love this world, don't love the things in this world. And then he says, for all that is in the world, the desire for physical pleasure, and then he says, the desire for everything we see. Again, he's talking about possessions. I see that, I want that, I need that to be happy in my life right now. Here's the truth. Worldly possessions don't last. I love this quote by author Randy Elkhorn. He says this. He says, you'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And then I had someone post this picture on my Facebook page, and they said, (laughs) you're wrong, pastor. (laughs) But you get the idea here. I mean, if you find out from the doctor that you've got a couple weeks to live, you don't go home and start filling up the storage unit and trying to decide what you're going to bring with you to heaven because you don't take anything with you. When John Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men who has ever lived, passed away, they asked his accountant, they said, how much money did Rockefeller leave behind? Without missing a beat, Rockefeller said, all of it. You don't take anything with you. That's why John says in the very next verse, he says, this world is fading away along with everything it craves. But if you do the will of God, he says, you will live forever. In other words, worldly possessions don't last. What does last is your relationships, first with God and then with other people. Several years ago, I was listening to a message by my friend Joel Johnson. He's the senior pastor at Westwood Church out in Chanhassen. And at one point during his message, Joel said that when his kids were growing up, they used to do this thing called pajama runs. And he must have noticed us looking at him very oddly because he stopped in the middle of his message. And he said, wait, you guys don't do pajama runs? And I thought it was like some weird 5K. You know, they got all these weird 5Ks now. I thought, oh, you're running a 5K in your pajamas. But he said, no, no, no. When my kids were growing up, We used to get them in their pajamas, we'd put them in bed, we'd turn the lights off in their room, we'd go out in the hallway, and we would wait for a little bit, and then we would burst back into their room, flip on their lights, and we would yell out, pajama run, 
And then we would take the kids to Dairy Queen for ice cream. How fun is that? And so several months ago, I put my kids to bed. And I went downstairs and I went on Facebook and I saw that it was Dairy Queen's free ice cream cone day. That's going to be a national holiday in 10 years. I mean, I am telling you, I love that day. And so my wife was at Bible study. So I was all on my own. But I went upstairs and I flipped on the lights and I yelled out, pajama run, get in the car. And I wish that I would have had a camera on my kids' faces. <laughs> because they had these confused smiles on their face, but they weren't going to argue with me. I mean, if you're a nine-year-old, anything sounds better than going to sleep. If I had come in and told my nine-year-old son, the house is burning down, he would have been like, bam, not going to sleep tonight. This is great. So we get into the car, and I said to the kids, I said, you guys, we're going to Dairy Queen for ice cream. And my daughter Isabel looks at me, and she goes, Dad, does Mom know about this? And I said, no, she has no idea. And all the kids were sitting in their seat and they started to laugh and kick their feet as hard as they could. It was the greatest ever. But we had a blast. When we got to Dairy Queen, we saw this teenager get out of his car, finish off his ice cream cone that he presumably had gotten from another Dairy Queen down the street and head in for another free ice cream cone. Don't you love teenagers? I mean, that guy probably had 25 free ice cream cones that day. That's fun. Free fun is the best kind of fun. But as I was driving home that night, I thought, Jason, these are some of the best years of your life. But here's what I want to ask you. What if two years ago, three years ago, I had had an affair? What if I had said, you know what, I just, I want to feel this physical pleasure. And the spark's not there in the marriage anymore, and, and this other person really admires me and thinks I'm great, and, and I just, it would feel so good, and I didn't live with my kids anymore. No pajama run. Or what if I was so worked up with my work and success and getting more possessions and having more people admire me and find me as successful in life that I was just always working? And so I'm downstairs working on things again. Guess what? No pajama run. Friends, worldly possessions, they do not last. But what will last in your life is your relationship with God and your relationship with others. That's why Jesus says, love God and love other people. Third reason that you can have everything that this world offers and still feel empty is this. The pride of life isn't enough. So John, again, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. For all that is in the world, the desire for physical pleasure, the desire for everything we see, and then he says, and the pride of life are not from the Father, but are from the world. What is the pride of life? Well, it's wanting other people to notice you and admire you. And just like pleasure and possessions, there's not necessarily anything wrong with people noticing you and admiring you. 
It's not a bad thing, just not a very good ultimate thing. When Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, was just 27 years old, he had just won his third Super Bowl. He was already being compared to the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But afterwards, Brady was interviewed by 60 Minutes. And look at what he said in that interview. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there is something greater out there for me? He said, I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. This is what it's all about. I mean, you got the money, you got the Super Bowl ring, you got the success, you have the admiration of other people. He said, I've reached my goals, my dream, my life is complete. But me, I think there's got to be more than this. The interviewer then asked him, well, what do you think that is? And Tom Brady said, I wish that I knew. Have you ever felt that way before? I mean, everything is going so well. The profits of your company doubled. You're being invited to speak at conferences and in front of groups of people that you never thought you would be invited to speak in front of. I mean, you're achieving this level of success. Everybody's coming to you going, man, you look great. How do you look like that? You have the pride of life. But there's something inside you that just goes, you know, there's got to be more than this. The reason is because of what John says in the next verse. He says, this world and its desires, they're passing away. But whoever does the will of God will live forever. See, the pride of life comes in different forms. For some of us, we would say, you know what, for me, it's, it's my body. I want people to notice and admire my body, and so I put a lot of time and energy and attention into that. Others of us would say, it's my house. You know, how it's decorated, how clean it is, how my yard looks. I just want people to notice and admire me for that. Others of us would say, you know, it's my kids. I want them to achieve a high level in sports or school. It's a good reflection on me. Everybody struggles with the pride of life in some area. But let me ask you, will it matter? 10 years from now, 10,000 years from now, is it going to matter how clean the house was or whether your kid got a hit or they struck out? Now, having a healthy body, that's a good thing. Having a clean house, I think, is a good thing. Having high-achieving kids, if, if you had to choose between high-achieving kids and underachieving kids, you'd probably choose high-achieving kids. None of those are bad things. But it is a reminder for us that this world and its desires are passing away. But whoever does the will of God will live forever. Part of the problem in this is there's a difference between fun and fulfilling. Have you discovered this yet? That there is a difference between fun and fulfilling. Wasting time online, that's fun. But reading your Bible and hearing from God and having him direct your life, that's fulfilling. Sin is fun. Sin is not very fulfilling. Having an affair is fun. 25 years or more of marriage, that's fulfilling. Buying something for yourself, fun. Giving to another person in need, that's really what's fulfilling. I've mentioned this before, but on Easter, our family likes to go out and buy Easter baskets. We'll fill them up with some gift cards to restaurants, some candy, some invites to here at Eagle Brook, and then we'll pass them out at these low-income apartments near our house. And so I just knock on the door. I say, hey, we've got a free Easter basket for you. And when they come to the door, I'll always ask them, 
is there any way I could pray for you right now? And eight out of 10 people are like, no. You know, one woman this time was like, you do that on your own time. And, you know, I'm respectful of that. But we walked up to this one woman, and she was sitting outside her apartment right as we walked up, reading her Bible. I said, what are you reading? She said, I'm reading the book of Numbers because I want to try and feel better. Now, if you read the Bible at all, that's funny. You don't read the book of Numbers if you want to feel better. I was like, it's a book of Numbers. But she was, you could just tell she was desperate. She wanted God in her life, and we prayed for her, and she was just crying when we were done. I had my arm around her, and she had just lost her car, and so my wife got her information. We're going to try to drive her to church when we can. And then we went to the next house, and I asked this woman, I said, can I pray for you? And she just burst out crying. She said, my husband's in prison, and I've got four kids, and we had to move in with my dad in this one-bedroom apartment. I said, can I pray for you right now? She said, please. Now, as we were driving over to these apartments, my kids were just fighting in the car. They're like, I had three pieces of that candy. No, you had two. You ate one. No, that wasn't yours. And they're just going back and forth. And when we left those apartments, my oldest son, who's almost in middle school and too cool for this kind of thing, was almost skipping as we left the apartments, because he had felt such a joy in being able to help these people. We got in the car afterwards, and I said to my kids, I said, you guys, that's where the joy is. Yeah, it's fun to get Easter presents and candy, but it is so fulfilling when you can remind another person who is hopeless and desperate that God loves them and notices them and cares for them. Let me ask you, is your life fulfilling? Or is it just fun? Have you discovered that God has more for you than just pleasure and possessions and the pride of life? If you're a believer here today, I would ask you to evaluate your life a little bit. And maybe there's an area where your desire for pleasure or possessions or the pride of life is a little bit out of control. You know, maybe for you there's a sinful pleasure in your life and you just cannot imagine giving that up. But I'm telling you, it's a fleeting pleasure, and God has something so much better for you. You need to give that up this week. Others of us, we just fill our weekend up with pleasurable activities. And I tell parents, and I tell young people all the time, if your weekend is just filled up with sporting events and birthday parties and experiences, you might have fun that weekend. But where are you going to learn about your purpose for life and have a fulfilling kind of life? You learn those kind of things in church when you're hearing from God. For you, it might be your relationships. You know, I talk to people all the time who say, you know, I got Facebook friends. I got friends I go out and grab a drink with after work. I've got friends that I work out with. But I don't have a friend that I could just talk to about God. I don't have a friend that I could, could pray for me or that I could open up and talk about how I'm really doing. If that's you, you got to stop off at the Next Steps area, join a small group here at Eagle Brook and find some people like that. Just tell the people out there, help me find a group of people who are at a similar life stage as I am. If you're not a believer here today, I'm going to ask you the question that I asked last week. Are you ready yet? You say, you know what, I believe in God, but I just want to have fun. Oh, really? then I want to invite you into the adventure of a lifetime, the adventure of knowing your creator and living out his purpose for your life. 
Psalm 37, 4 says this. Delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, find pleasure and joy in a relationship with God, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. So many of us have these desires for pleasure and possessions and the pride of life, and what God is saying is, if you will just delight yourself in me, then everything else is going to fall in place in your life. You're going to have joy, you're going to have purpose, and you're going to have fulfillment. Let's stand at all of our campuses as we close in prayer. Lord, I, I thank you for this world and the pleasure that you allow us to experience the gifts that you've given us. God, those are from you, and we thank you for them. But God, sometimes our desires for the things of this world get a little bit out of control, and we begin to love this world and the things in this world more than we love you. And really, we love them more than we should. And so, God, will you help some of us just to course correct this week and, and get back on track of the kind of life that you would want us to live? And, Lord, for those of us here who say, you know what, I believe in you, God, but I just want to have fun, would you help them to see that following you and trusting you and loving you is going to bring the greatest amount of pleasure and joy to their life, God? Lord, I pray that each person here can truthfully say, you know what, God has a purpose for my life, that he's using me to reach other people for Christ, and I feel this sense of fulfillment. God, if there are people here today who don't sense that and who sense an emptiness and a dissatisfaction, Lord, I pray that you would show them and speak to them about the ways that you want to use them. Lord, we thank you so much, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.